Well, hi, Eduardo. Thank you for Hello. being here. <laughs> uh, we're heroes of marketing class. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Uh, we've been working together for a while, obviously. Uh, and I, I know you are a true hero for marketing in cloud. So I thought it's only apt that, uh, that I interview you. But just for our audience, and, and many of our customers will know you, but for our audience, could you just wheel it back a notch and, um, or take us back in, in your career and walk us through the path you've taken? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So, well, thank you very much for your words, first of all. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. And yeah, so my background, uh, well, I studied computer science, so I've been always in the tech side of things. Uh, my first job was actually at Airbus when I developed software for satellites, which is a very different uh, sector, obviously. And yeah, I really love it there. It sounds very fancy also, but you know, at the same time, you only see a small picture inside the, the, the satellite, what's going on. So you cannot really see the impact you're making, I think. And I started looking for something different, and then I ended up in Deloitte Digital. And that's where I met uh, MarTech and marketing, and I really loved how uh, marketing embraces creativity and how technology can really make a difference uh, for the relationship between brands and customers. And yeah, that's uh, where I've been working ever since. So I've been working with uh, Marketing Cloud for five years now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and in this like for one and a half almost, so... Which is still marketing cloud. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But that but that switch is really interesting. You went mm-hmm. from software engineering, working on actual satellites. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, which to a layman like me is almost saying I'm a rocket engineer. Like I'm in my mind it's as complex, I might be wrong. Can you tell a little bit more about like you said we were only working on a very small part of satellite image? Can you use a picture for the audience or you know, most of our audience obviously are marketing cloud mm-hmm. consultants, so can can you help us imagine what that looks like? Yeah, so uh, when you work on a satellite, first of all, it's a project that takes five years or six years. So it's not like Salesforce or like marketing in general, where everything has to be very fast and you have to deliver value as soon as possible. And also in a satellite, it's not even the the company, it's even different countries working for different parts of the satellite, at least here in Europe. So you only do do one module that will go inside a module that someone else is coding uh, in Italy or Belgium or somewhere else. So it's like you cannot see the, obviously you understand the module you're building, but not the whole picture of what's going on, what's going to happen. And sometimes the module you program is not related to the mission of the of the satellite. Um, so yeah, that's... So it's you're, you're more like a small cog in a larger machine, even though yeah. the machine you're building is really cool. Exactly. So there's no notion of agile development in such a mm, Not at all. <laughs> not at all. It's very different. Yeah. Would you characterize it as a waterfall project or still something else? Or yeah, I have to say they have their own their own methodology because everything has to be uh, with very high standards of security. Obviously, they are investing millions and millions. Of mm-hmm. So there's a specific methodology that was brought by NASA, if I'm not mistaken, and that's what they follow. But it's based on trying out everything, like a lot, yeah. and making sure that every line of code is tested out uh, before it gets to the final product. Right, because I imagine the room for bugs is very limited. Yeah, actually, the co- uh, something very interesting is that the code is hard coded in the satellite, like physically, mm-hmm. because X rays from the sun can change a zero to a one, okay. so they have decoded like hard coded into the into the satellite, so it can reset whenever a X ray changes the the algorithm or something. That, like that. That's amazing. Yeah, obviously there's no uh, cloud version because even though you literally shoot them up in the cloud um, and beyond. 
um it would even take too long to do yeah. updates or anything like that but i didn't even realize that uh the sun rays can just destroy the bits altogether yeah yeah it's crazy and also they have a system so uh with a watchdog that is all the time checking if the satellite is working to reset it automatically because obviously you cannot set someone to click on the reset or something like that so yeah, it's very different uh way of understanding software but despite the fact that that is super complex and really fascinating uh, you switch to marketing and um, how do you find the transition in terms of complexity? I'm curious about that. Uh, well, it's completely different because in when you're coding satellites, you're on a very low level. So uh, assembler even, coding uh, C or assembler. And when you move to something different, like something more agile or like marketing, you're coding in JavaScript or AMScript or SQL, right? That is easier to understand. Um, but it's also like the, the problems you're addressing are more global. Like you have the full vision and the full picture. Okay, we have this problem. What do we do now? Right. So you have that part of designing the solution and, and seeing all the aspects about it rather than just taking one module and making it perfect. So I, I think the, the complexity of the code, maybe it's lower, but uh, you know, as you get to see the whole picture, uh, that's... Yeah, because your code is not just a module, it touches in, in a whole company's effort and there may be interactions with other departments like sales. Mm -hmm. I've always find marketing, especially marketing automation, surprisingly, sometimes shockingly complex, especially because you can also sort of work yourself into an impasse. Um, you can, you know, you can screw yourself over by making journeys are too complex for mm -hmm. you because it doesn't become maintainable. Is that something you ever encountered in your consulting work? Yeah, I think that... Um... It happens a lot that marketeers build these plans that goes, okay, for example, from wordings, I have a plan of three months and then you go and build a journey of three months. Yeah. Uh, but then obviously you want to do changes along the way when you see that one email has a very bad result or when customers are not engaging. So yeah, sometimes you try to to build one journey that fix every problem mm -hmm. and then you find yourself splitting it into very small journeys to exactly. cover the whole. Yeah. Exactly. And of course, in Journey Builder, uh, there's just um, lower performance as of a certain amount of splits and all that. Just like literally loading a page mm -hmm. as an admin will, will take a lot of time. So, okay, we went from um, computer science to satellites to consulting and now deselect. What does your day-to-day -day look like these days? And is it is it different from before? Mm -hmm. Well, I have to say it's very different, uh, very s similar, sorry, in terms of at the end is helping the customers understand how technology can help them get better results or get ROI sooner. Um, so in that sense, it's similar. Now the difference is that before it was only about marketing cloud and now it's about deselect. So uh, we also have conversations with product that maybe I was missing before for us. Because when we see that something could be better or a customer's requesting something, I can go and talk with the product team and raise that as a feature. So that's that's amazing. That's a new door that opened for me uh, compared to consultancy. And and obviously you've had a huge impact on our roadmap, but we'll, we'll get to that. But maybe let's take a little bit longer with your consulting past. Um, so before deselect, and, and I reckon that maybe some of your client work was confidential, mm -hmm. so you don't have to mention names unless you're, uh, you, know, you can. What would you... What would you uh, consider the most interesting project you did before Deselect? Um, so one, it's uh, very especially interesting uh, for me. It was something we built for a Spanish retailer, and they were struggling with, because they were managing four different languages for every single cent. So every time they want to send a newsletter, it's four versions that the marketing team has to uh, have to build. And when you want to do some personalization for different regions or different uh, things, events that happen that you have to multiply by four. So three versions being 12 uh, emails being managed by 
the marketing team. And, and quick question, you say four languages, so like Spanish, Catalan. Uh, Euskera is another language in Spain and Gallego, a Galician from the Galice zone of Spain. So interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that even within the country, you know, mm -hmm. these may variations. Of course, in Belgium, I, I, I recall similar issues where you need mm -hmm. French, you need Dutch, you need German. True. Um, but I think people sometimes forget there's so many different, mm -hmm. would you call the a dialect, I suppose, or even a different language? We, well, actually, Euskera is completely different. It has a different base. It's not from Latin. It's uh, um, like a different base completely. I don't know how it's, to which it's compared, to be honest. I think maybe a Gaelic. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure because uh, even like they use our alphabet, but the, if you see the words written, it's completely different. Okay. It's nothing to do like with Catalan or uh, Galician, it's it's similar, so you can uh, more or less understand. Yeah, Galician is influenced by the goal. Yeah, so, okay, then I don't mm -hmm. know. <laughs> so and uh, and then so that was a complexity. And what we did was instead of focusing on the communications that we're sending, we built a custom solution inside Marketing Cloud with um, custom landing pages with AmScript with tons of AmScript actually, uh, where they have like a library of content blocks where they could define a period of time that content block should be active, the audience that should receive it, the priority, so a lot of uh, added information to each content block. And then they only define one template, one email, and it's what dynamic for each person depending on the segments they were in. Uh, and uh, it would select the content blocks that should be displayed and order them by priority, and even change the subject line. And so how many multiple variations you had? You have four languages, you have X amount of content mm. blocks, so... Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, I don't know how many, because for the segments, uh, they only had like 12 or 13 attributes they could use only. <laughs> so it's oh, already yeah. a good number. <laughs> and then the languages and the priorities. So yeah, it was it was very complex. Mm -hmm. But at the end, well, it, I mean, obviously, technically, it was already a challenge and it was amazing to build. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you see how it impacts their strategy, like how the marketing team start talking about the library and how they change their relation with providers because before it was like, okay, I want to say I can send your email to 100,000 people, for example, but now I can make you pay more if you want to be on the first place or in the second place because we also build reporting around how many times they're viewed, how many times they're clicked. Uh, so they could have a lot of yeah, uh, data around that. And it was truly, truly cool. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you learned a lot from that um, for those out there starting a similar pad or having projects that are as complex, are there some lessons learned? Um, well, I, I would say developing something in Salesforce, it's not, not always easy because there's a lot of different languages involved and the reporting, the, the error reporting sometimes is hard. So it's better to follow a, a strategy of split and conquer. So you go with very basic approach. When it's working, then you try to add functionality on top of it. Because if you try to address the end-to-end, um, it's very, very complicated. In this case, I don't know how many, I think it was like five months or six months project, just trying to figure it out, every single thing that can go wrong. At the end, I think the template, the main template has like 1,000 lines of AmScript. Um, so, yes. So, so uh, develop it as a Deloitte consultant to satellite. Exactly, yeah. Because <laughs> we don't have to shoot it up into space for now. Yeah. <laughs> one day. Um, okay, I think that's super interesting. Now, another thing that you learned, during your consulting um, times, but that you're definitely applying now, and, and this is where you've impacted our roadmap so much, is the the issue of saturation control, and that of course manifested itself in our in our recent product, Engage. 
Um, but can you first start with saturation control? What was your experience with it? Mm. Yeah, I feel like saturation control for many companies, it was like this uh, new year commitment that you never uh, fulfill because every time you bring it up in a conversation, and I don't know if you had the same experience, it's like, oh yeah, saturation control, we should do more about it. But nobody's happy with their current approach to saturation control because it's a very complex process. First of all, it impacts everything because sales have something to say as well because you're reducing the funnel, right? So uh, Michelle has also a say in this. Yeah. And maybe you should for the audience even take a step back, like what is saturation control and mm -hmm. what's the basic? Yeah, of course. So basically the idea is control how many emails or how many communications you send to your audience in that period of time to make sure that you don't saturate them and they finally unsubscribe. Uh, because even though every message sounds important, it's better to send two emails a week than five emails a week and then lose them on, on day six. So yeah, the idea is trying to control how many emails you send, but also taking into account all the complexity of your company, like the priorities and the things that are going on and what messages are important because not all messages are the same. And there's no solution like this right now. And it's very complex to build something like this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's of course, where we came up with Engage. Um, you've been at the cradle of uh, this this project. Um, well, what, let's start with, what do you consider the, the key capabilities today as it stands? And do you have a favorite feature in it? Uh, well, definitely also listening to customers' feedback, uh, the calendar. Uh, having a calendar, not only to know which campaigns are you going to send, that sometimes if it's done manually or in an Excel file, having that added component of Engage telling you for each campaign that you add there, this is the percentage of the audience that you define that is going to be saturated that should be excluded based on your own rules. So having that vision gives the customers more arguments and more ways to solve the problem because if you have a very so, uh, easy solution, the the uh, the answer to a, a campaign being saturated is binary. It's either you send it or you don't. That's sure. it. But now with the calendar, if you see a campaign is going to be affected by saturation, you can decide to move it and test it and refresh. Ah, okay, if I move it to Tuesday instead of Monday, it seems that more people is going to receive it. Right. So that's giving them more more tools to solve it. That's your favorite feature too. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> For me, that was um, sort of the interesting uh, uh, conclusion of that. Well, not conclusion, the project is like still early and we have so much more things in mind, but first understanding the problem of saturation control, I sort of imagined the solution differently um, as uh, than a calendar, which it now is. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that that's sort of a very practical, easy to grasp thing. And it's kind of cool because it, it's interesting because we make it seem very easy, mm -hmm. but underneath the hood, I know our developers have done a crazy amount of work to make it look that easy. And I think that's the same with segment, right? People yeah. are like, oh, this is this is easy, but the, the kind of sequel we can spit out of the backside is mm -hmm. easy. Yeah, definitely. Um, so wheeling back to, to marketing cloud, more generally speaking, maybe aside from saturation control, um, how do you think marketers struggle? Where Where's the... Um, what are the pitfalls when you start your marketing cloud project? Um, and maybe for, for non-consultant mm -hmm. types, like the actual users, where do you think are the biggest struggles with, uh, with marketing cloud, maybe with marketing automation in general? Yeah, I think that, um, as a manager, I had it at Deloitte, uh, used to say when you get marketing cloud for the first time, it's like purchasing a Ferrari without a driving license. And sometimes it feels like that because you have a lot of power, you know, you have the fastest car or the fastest solution or the best solution out there but you have to learn a lot to get to the point where you can 
take full advantage of it. Right. So what I really like about Deselect is that we're flattering that learning curve of the problems you're going to face. Okay, let's reduce the complexity of the ones we can so you can spend more time on other things or you can test things out. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say normally that's the biggest pain point when you start out there, you don't know where to go. Like you have a lot of studios and it's hard to decide. You need to get your driving license or you know, go to track and get some some laps and yeah. Um you mentioned deselect addresses that. Um can you give our audience an example maybe for those who are a little bit less familiar with your offering? What's um and again, maybe your feature your your favorite uh, aspect of our product or service? Mm -hmm. Uh well we've talked about deselect engage, uh about deselect free, sorry, deselect search. Uh being able to find things faster sometimes and maybe it's not so much in the onboarding but later when you start having a huge library of content of data extension it's hard to know where you save everything unless you start doing that from day one that that's maybe a good advice also have a, a solid structure of folders inside uh, marketing cloud oh yeah you know i i, I totally remember that from my first marketing automation projects like just having good folder governance and naming conventions it sounds almost too simple yeah. or kind of stupid that you have to put your brain power into that but it makes such a huge difference down yeah. the line yeah definitely um so with this select search being able to find these data extensions super fast and being able to click on them even you search for the name you click on it and you mm -hmm. you see it right away so that and also with this select segment with all the segment when it comes to segmentation but also reporting sometimes it's hard to navigate through all the data that you have available and being able to combine it with drag and drop and doing previews I think it speed ups the process to get to the result yeah. from the, okay, I want to build this segment or I have this idea of something I want to try. It really speeds up the process to get to a result so you can validate faster. Yeah, and that is something that I think um, a lot of people don't realize about writing queries in Marketing Cloud or using the select segment, um, that uh, the queries are not often not often not only for segmentation, yeah, but yeah. they can serve a lot of processes. Uh, I actually use it for reporting myself back when I was um, King Uda as a consultant. And uh, I would build these queries to uh, to compare uh, performance of certain pieces of content across clients. Mm -hmm. So it was a combination of using the send log, using mscript to log uh, which local, country, language, all that stuff, and then the content piece. Mm -hmm. And then, but to get that data, you had to write big queries. And then of course the volumes were large, so I had to use the FTP and then and and I like to call this this uh, data prep. Um, have you seen other interesting use cases that maybe tackle less today for SQL beyond segmentation or reporting? Data validation that's pretty common as well. Um, Can you give an example? So, for example, um, we had a customer recently that they use a specific email when they don't have an email. I think that's pretty common when you have a form and it's required. It's, like mail at noteemail.com or something like that. All right. So being able to get the list of the people that, that has that email, it, it seems very simple, but when you're building the process, the thing is that building a SQL in MarkCloud, it's not of the SQL, it's the smallest part, right? So when you're doing something complex, like what you were mentioning before, it makes sense maybe to do a huge investment in time or, or you expect to do a huge investment in time. But when you're validating data, you want the results in two minutes. It's like how many people follow without email? Uh, and it's how long it takes to build every single element that you need to get to that result. So yeah, I would say with Deselect, it's easier to validate data. And we've seen many customers that during the onboarding, they start 
calling their CRM colleagues like, hey, we've identified the server, we've identified the... And yeah, that's pretty common. And, and I think that's also great. So this is something that even now at DigiLite, you encounter a lot of customers that are actually using DigiLite for, for data validation, not just segmentation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Mm. Um, talking to customers about their CRM data, I keep running into this too. Talking to our customers, the issue is often upstream. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're using Salesforce CRM, they're using Snowflake, um, whatever. And I did it with the marketing class. And then, then the marketers have to deal with that. What's your, do you have like a point of view, an opinion on the problem from your experience with customers, maybe even architecturally do, how do you think about that? Mm -hmm. Um, well, I think the main problem for marketeers or the main pain point is that when you identify those servers, maybe that's blocking a campaign you have in the next days or something that you want to try. Uh, but for the CRM team, it's going to be just another task and just another thing they have to do. And it needs to fit a sprint, obviously, because it's a very complex solution that needs to, um, to you know, it's, it's used by everyone in the company. So um, the problem there is that you identify something that is a stopper for you, and then you, you have to wait in the queue until it's solved. Right. And the good thing about deselect is that you can fix it on your own. So the idea, and that's something that we share with customers a lot of times, is you can make that request to fix it but you can also build something to do a patch for the for the time being until it's solved you schedule that and then you work from there and and that way you can bypass all the errors that you may find uh without impacting your strategy right and i think so how you're explaining is that for some customers they essentially get dirty data into their marketing cloud but the marketers have to use it so they do some kind of um staging of their data using queries segments mm -hmm. uh, whatever um, I've even noticed that some customers, they, um, they don't even have like a proper definition of what is segment A, right? So if they sell multiple products, just they have a, not, they don't have a good data governance around, um, how to fix that. Who, who do you think is the owner of that, that problem in organization? I know it's a hard question. maybe no right answer. I'm kind of curious what your opinion is. Um. Yeah, as I've said, maybe the the owner of defining the segments, it's not the person that is using the segments later. And what I mean is that maybe like the, the CRM needs to have clear data, right? And, and clear attributes and, and flags that can be used later in marketing. So marketing is just a reflection of what you have in the CRM. So maybe the owner of making those segments clear or making those tags, it's in the CRM. But at the end of the day, if that's not well-defined, it's marketing, the one that is suffering, it's struggling with that. So I would say it's co-owned maybe. So CRM obviously long-term needs to fix that and make sure that's in place. But short-term marketing needs to have a solution to address it because it's, at least in my experience, so common. <laughs> no, absolutely. And and I think you kind of um, touched upon something interesting. I think what's sometimes happening is that Supposedly, the owners of the data are maybe sometimes data stewards, data scientists, people mm -hmm. owning the data warehouse or CRM admins, but the people suffering <laughs> are someone else downstream. So it's kind of an interesting uh, ownership um, problem. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think anyone has really figured that out yet. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of the, the modern version of IT versus marketing, uh, which is often a conflict. Yeah. Um, if, if I can take even a, a broader question, um, how do you think about technology augmenting human intelligence 
there's there's so many interesting things happening. Um, we're of course on on the vanguard of pushing data enablement, but there's also uh, just recently Chat GPT mm-hmm. getting super uh, popular and big. Um, how do you think about that? How is technology enhancing, enabling, augmenting human intelligence? Yeah, I think it's a it's a great question, and I really like how it's formulated because for me, um, something that tech can do and that humans will never be able to do is process huge amounts of data objectively and jump to a three bullet conclusion or to a series of next actions, right? And that's very hard for us, obviously. Sure. Um, but I like same- how you add it objectively. Yeah. <laughs> But at the same time, humans have something that ChatGPT will never have, that is context about the sector and based on your own experience and that gut feeling the decision based on probability. Maybe sometimes uh, you take a path that, you know, it's not the best one if you only look at data, but that subjection, it's so positive, right? So I, I really see technology doing that part of the job of collecting the data and presenting it in a way that humans can take better decisions. But I don't believe in a future where technology or AI replaces the whole chain of decision-making from end to end, like black boxes of, yeah, you know, AI is doing what is best data-wise. Yeah, but you need to say something about it, right? Well, someone needs to ask the question, mm-hmm. at least for now. Yeah, Maybe you, I don't know if we'll get beyond that, but... And and that applies to, you know, not just for ChatGPT, which is literally a chatbot where you can ask questions, but also for what segment, what, what should I segment, right? What data should I use and look into? Um, yeah, but for example, I like the approach uh, we have at Engage where, um, okay, data saturation can be different for every person, mm-hmm. but we let customers set their own rules. So the, uh, the machine is there working for the human and then applying what the human says. Absolutely. And you can go beyond that and do a one-to-one personalization, but only always keeping in mind hard rules that maybe a human has set up. So, well, from that um, super high in the cloud subject, let's get very practical. For someone who's a marketing cloud newbie, they're just getting their hands dirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, what advice would you give them? Well, first of all, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I would say the best thing that Salesforce has it's definitely the community. Um, how many users are there and probably any problem you're having right now was solved by someone before you and there's a blog post about it or a video tutorial on how to solve it so my first advice would be when you log in when you don't have the driving license right and you have your brand new ferrari um instead of starting navigating through salesforce and trying to figure out how everything works that you take a step back you go to google and you start searching for the things you want to do the things you want to implement and there's a lot of information out there, very easy to 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 reach, right? And yeah, I think that's the real game changer we're set with Salesforce. Do you have uh, some favorite resources, maybe using with your own team here at Deselect, or was there a specific module or community or group that you found super helpful? Mm. I don't have any specifics because as I've said, most of the times I start from Google and then I start looking. Mm-hmm. So Elliot Harper, obviously, there are so many yeah. good videos about him. Yeah, he's been on the show too. Ah, right. that's right. Very, very first uh, <laughs> interview on Herod of Marketing Cloud. Yeah, it's definitely a new. <laughs> uh, also, I've seen uh, Deselect videos from the early days. There are some videos uh, in the YouTube channel that are really useful. Uh, but yeah, if you start digging, there are some communities on Slack. There are yeah, forums specific for Salesforce. So. Great. Um, so say customer start with marketing cloud, discuss that. What if they layer on 
deselect? Uh, what's the number one uh, blocker or number one advice? What's the most important thing to do to have a successful onboarding mm-hmm. with deselect? So I would highlight a couple couple things there. First of all, internal alignment. This is very obvious and it applies to every project, right? Uh, but once you identify the pain points that the deselect platform can solve, I think it's important that managers select the solution listening to marketeers and marketeers embrace the solution proposed by managers. So that's their, that alignment where everyone is trying to go in the same direction. That's, that's very important for the change management. Uh, but also curiosity, I would say we have customers with no technical experience, with a lot of technical experience, brand new to Salesforce and to Marketing Cloud that have uh, years of experience that they were in Marketing Cloud when it was exact target. And the thing that successful customers have in common is that they just go in and try out. Uh, I said before that it's hard to address Marketing Cloud if you start going by from the different studios. And sometimes it's scary, right? You go into email studio and you don't want to send an email to 1 million customers by mistake. But the good thing about these select solutions is that they are free to try out. They are safe. They are a safe space. In in segment, you can go in and start building segments, try it out, try the different types. What happens if I use this joint type? What happens if I use this filter type? Uh, You have a support portal where you can ask your even your customer success manager and we'll be there to help. So yeah, I would say those two things. There are guardrails uh, to <laughs> so uh, maybe the risk of accidentally sending an email to a million people um, is less. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get, they get their hands dirty is what you're saying. That's what the yeah. best, uh, most successful deselect customers, they do. Interesting. Is that something that um, is exclusive to um, maybe your more technically versed customers or would you give the same advice to non-technical market? Yeah, to everyone. Uh, actually, uh, there's a customer that has been with us for three months now, and I've always talked with them about how advanced they are in a very short period of time. It's really impressive because they're doing crazy reports. They're building uh, scoring models from week two. Oh, and wow. They don't have technical background. They are, they are all marketeers without uh, that background. And I asked them, and they said, we've been wanting to do this for a very long time, but we couldn't know it, do it because we don't we didn't know how. And now we have this like this, like we have a door that we can explore, and that's why uh, they're trying out. So I think this applies to to everyone. Very very cool. Um, how do they? I'm sure all of our customers have thought about scoring models. Do you, do you have some insights on how they're thinking about it? What was their approach? Mm-hmm. Because clearly they had thought about it before deselect. So mm-hmm. how do they do that? So normally when when a customer wants to start building scoring models, there are three steps I, I always uh, try to share with them. Because you normally go with, you have a scoring model, you go to the last step that is define the attributes you want to set. So label label A, B, and C, right? That's the outcome. But that's only the last step. The first step would be to identify the events that needs to be processed for that scoring model. It can be engagement. It can be if they've purchased something. So uh, all the events that you want to to tackle, and that would be your first step. Identify them, see if you have the data there to to be able to identify it. Then the second step is giving scores to each event. So each event can have a score or you can prioritize them or however you want to deal with it. And then once you have that, you can go to the third step of saying, okay, with this score, level A, with this score, level B. So I think splitting the process in these three steps is clear uh, for customers normally to address it. Yeah, and and it simplifies. And I think it's also key that um, 
I think customers are also a bit worried about trying to do it too perfect initially. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, maybe you can have a scoring model, but it doesn't need to be actual right away. What I mean with that is the scoring model doesn't immediately have to like change lead assignment roles or new journeys. Like you can just let it run and, and kind of, um, check afterwards. Okay. What, what are these scores now? Do they make sense? Do we all agree about that? Um, and, and iterate from that. Mm -hmm. Um, again, it's not a, not a satellite, is it? Um, Maybe just a bit of a fun question to to round up the conversation. Is it true you were part of the the Real Madrid Youth Academy? Yeah, I played there for a year when I was nine or ten, something like that. So very young. Um, yeah, it was a great experience. <laughs> so what what was it like? Uh, well, I've always been a Real Madrid fan, so it was a dream. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, it was it was very fun. So and if we're gonna have soccer games with the company, you're gonna whoop our I'll try to at least. Yeah. Right. I how does a maybe a funny comparison, but how does that experience compare to your to your deselect experience? Well, at the end, um, there's a, a team component that it's shared between sports and business and, and deselect. Um, so basically, you celebrate the victories together as a team. And if something's happening, if someone needs help, make sure that the whole team can react to that and help. So yeah, I think that's. That's some mentality that is shared in Real Madrid and the Selecta family. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you, uh, Edu, so much for being here. Um, you've had a massive impact on our roadmap. Um, you're doing tremendous work with your customers and your team. So thank you so much for being for uh, being here for the ride with us and being here today for the interview. Thank you very much. Thank you for watching Heroes of Marketing Cloud. I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date about future interviews with fellow marketing champions.